My name is Ben. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. And um, it's, it's good to be back on the side of the mountain again. Um, my, 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 these were all my old home meetings when I started. I, I got into Overeaters Anonymous, I, I got to say, about uh, 20 years ago. Um, I fought uh, the, everything about that's in print. And I go, no, 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 let's do this in pencil so can, we can erase a lot of this and just put our own stuff in. And I was one of those people who thought, oh, okay, I'll just take it away and make it my way. And, oh, wait, my way. And um, that never worked. It's when I hit my bottom, my absolute bottom, that I accepted the program Overeaters Anonymous. And then after that happened, things started happening easy. I found for myself, I, I, I made things difficult for myself even though they were directions on a label of how to take this medicine, I would say, no, 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 you drink it all, and then you go to sleep. And so I was one of those people. But when I accepted how the OA program is, and uh, when um, Roz uh, more or less smacked me upside the head, um, I, I got the program. <laughs> and uh, to qualify, my top weight was... Is was uh, 400 pounds, and um, today I am 230 pounds, and um, huge difference, huge difference in everything. Um, you find when you get program, and then eventually the weight starts coming off, you have a happier life because your life is not about you know takeout centers or drive-throughs or eating alone in the dark in a movie theater because it's okay because it's a movie theater and it's dark and no one can see you. Um, I used to have many O'Meals in the movie theaters and I used to sneak in food to the movie theaters and, uh, and I always knew where to get more if I, I needed more and I always did. Um, so everything changed. First thing was I could, I'm allowed to go to a movie but I'm not going to eat anything that's being sold there. And that was my first step. And that was a hard one. Because when you walk in the theater, you get the aroma of the food they sell. And, um, and then I'm, I, was, I just remember I was went to go see this uh, um, uh, movie. And um, I remember I just kind of stopped and kind of closed my eyes and sniffed over, to the, over there to the counter. <laughs> And to anybody, it must have looked like I was slipping into a coma because I was kind of like, <laughs> like that. And then when you open your eyes, people are like, don't make eye contact. Don't <laughs> let him go and watch his movie. And then what I started doing, I was taking inventory of everybody else in the movie theater. I was like, oh, man, they got that. I, I, I eat that. And that, oh, and I can go for that. I know I can go to the to the concession and buy a drink. No, because that's a trap. Because once I get there and I start looking at other side, I go, you know what? Eight dollars for a hot dog is not a bad deal. <laughs> um, and I would I would eat stuff like that. Four hundred pounds like that. You don't see the weight coming on because you see yourself in the mirror every day. But when you go away on tour, if, if you go away out of town on vacation, you come back. And your friends start saying to you, and, they, and I remember their faces would be, hey, 
like that, they'll open their eyes because I would gain 10 pounds like that or when we're on tour, you know, part of the perks back then of another thing I used to be in my life was everything is free for for you. And when, uh, yeah. So put free food in front of a compulsive overreader. That's just, you know, wow, great. That, that's all I need. And um, when I started to lose the weight, I started to like myself again. I hated myself for putting on all that weight. Because in high school and in my 20s, early 20s, um, I was in good shape. You know, and it was when I was 25 and getting older, um, the, the, the weight would come on because of the food. And you always hear speakers say, no one put, you know, a gun to your head and say, eat this thing right now. It, it was it was myself putting the gun to my own head and doing it. So. Um, what I did, I didn't give up everything all at once because to me that would have been suicide. I, I, I slowly took away things. So I did it in layers and I did it slowly. And that, and that really helped a lot. As I was saying, the, as the weight comes off, you like what you see in the mirror. I can't tell you guys how many times when I was 400 pounds, when I look in the bathroom mirror, and I would just cry looking at myself, saying, no wonder I don't have any special person in my life. Who's going to love this? And then I remember punching the mirror, punching the mirror, even hitting my own fat on my body because I was so disgusted with myself. Not that a person who's fat or overweight is disgusting. I was disgusted with myself. And the weight started coming off, and then... Um, things started happening where I became a clothes whore and I love clothes lots of clothes thank God for the people who came up with Ross you know it's like uh, it's like the, it's like you know that is Jewish heaven you know and I know because you walk through the door you don't hear a little beep you hear boy and then you walk in and we can just smell the wholesale and sales and clearance sales. It's oh god, it was great. It, it got so bad. Okay, so as I was losing weight, my, my top waist was uh, my top waist was a fifty, and that was stretching it. Where you know when you try to button, you can't, and you hold in your stomach a little. And then that night when you take off your pants, you have that button impression on your body. It was really really tight. And um, started losing the weight. Uh, the weight came off pretty fast because I was, you know, younger then. And um, and I remember moving into a two-bedroom apartment in Sherman Oaks. And uh, the person who um, was looking at the application goes, "So who's going to be staying in this two-bedroom apartment?" I go, uh, "Just my cat and myself, you know." And what I did with the second bedroom, the bedroom. I made into a closet. <laughs> and I know, look at the girls. Ooh, nice. And, and I have those like racks you would see at department stores. I had I had everything you you um, you can imagine 
from A to Z and when I would have girls come over to my apartment and then they, you know, uh, they would go, oh, is this the door to the bathroom? And I go, no, 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 that's my closet. And they open up and they're like, holy crap. Because <laughs> I had a department store in my second bedroom and I loved it. I loved it. I lo- what I did love, yeah, shopping for clothes became my new addiction, but I would take that over uh, drugs, alcohol, and food any day, you know. Um, and I remember how good it felt to put on clothing articles, how great it is to go to, a, to a, um, like a Macy's and grab something off the rack, no longer having to shop at the big and tall store. I remember I used to be so embarrassed shopping there because um, it's identifying yourself that you're, you're big and, and, you know, so, so tall, you know. <laughs> And I remember wearing a baseball cap and looking around as if people knew me at that, you know what I mean? And I would go in and I'd buy this, try that on, buy this, try that. And the cool thing is when you start losing your weight and you have your abstinence and you're working the tools, is that you just grab things off the rack and you're like, awesome. I loved it. It was a, it was a, great, it was a great time. I, I loved uh, pampering myself that way because... I wasn't pampering myself with the food anymore. So to pamper myself that way was great for me. Um, it was fun for me. Now, let me tell you what happened recently. And this was five years ago. Um, when, I be, when I was at my top weight, 400 pounds, as you get bigger, fatter, obese, you, your heart starts to change too. And not the way you feel, but in size. And so I have an enlarged heart. And no matter how much weight I lose or that I'm at my goal, I'll always have an enlarged heart. And that happens to all of us. So if you have that weight and you lost it, you might look great on the inside, but no one really knows the plumbing on the inside. So five years ago, I'm sleeping in bed and all of a sudden... My heart hurts. I mean, it really hurts. It felt like knives were going in my heart. And then this radiating feeling was going up my neck. It's just like it's just radiating, going like that, tighter and tighter. Next thing I know, my jaw's tight and I couldn't talk. And I was like, oh, like this. And I thought, oh crap, I'm having a heart attack. And this is all I can talk. Remembering calling 911, they came over and, um, they were with me for a while before putting me in drive, and I was wondering. I was like, just you know, give me you know pain meds, anything. Uh, give me, uh, get me to the hospital. And they kind of had an idea what I had, but they couldn't tell me. It had to be an official thing from the doctor. So I was rushed to the hospital. Um, they put me through that. Um, Machine that you know. Sorry to use it. Sorry to use for, for like a like a food reference, but you know that white donut you go through. To, you know, I, I guess that's our version of okay. You're you're ascending to heaven. You know, you know, and and, and you got this automatic table moving. You're like donut. I feel like Homer. You know, it's like ah. And then um, and then I went out. They 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 shoved every type of tube. And um, I had, must have had like five tubes here, a couple of tubes here, tube here. Um, and I was like, 
wow, what's going on? You know, is this it? And then a doctor came in and he said, uh, Mr. Gilbert, uh, you're not having a heart attack. And I'm like, then what the F am I having? He goes, your aorta ripped. And that's the worst that can happen to anybody. It's, it's, it's worse than a heart attack. It's worse. It's better to have a heart attack than it is a ripped aorta. And what happened was inside, and why I'm going to be graphic is because don't play with the food anymore or you're going to go down the road I went. Your aorta acts as a hose connected to your heart valves. And then as you, you gain weight and you lose weight, what happens to the aorta? It expands and then it retracts. It expands and it retracts and does that so many times that it expands, cracks, and tears. So my aorta ripped all the way down. And that hospital didn't have um, that kind of heart center to take care of what I knew. But my higher power was with me the whole time. I remember they put me in an ambulance and they rushed me to St. John's in Oxnard because right there was one of the top three leading specialists in hearts. And he's the top three in the nation. How lucky is it for me that he was there on his shift? So they called ahead saying, this is what he got. No, no, no. He was able to call his team. They made it in and they were waiting for me in the ER. Everybody was scrubbed. They had their mask on. You know, uh, one person had a scalpel in his hand. They, they had to rip into me really fast. It was a matter of the time clock. And, and literally, it was either seconds or minutes. Now, um, I'm a huge fan of John Ritter, not as the actor, as the person. Unfortunately, what happened to John Ritter happened to me, but John Ritter was misdiagnosed. So he went to the ER, they thought it was a heart attack, they sent him up to his suite. One of the other doctors go, no, it's a rick aorta. And then as they have him in the elevator going down to the ER, he died. So if you're misdiagnosed with that, you die. Either they get it right the first time or you're dead. And I lucked out. The guy who diagnosed me got it right. Uh, side note, his name is Dr. Yu. And um, we're best friends now. Um, we're, you know, um, and uh, he and I go on rock climbing together. We go hiking together. And, um, and every year, um, I always send him a thank you during the holidays for letting me be around another year for this holiday and um, also best friends with the surgeon and um, let, let me just say when I was on my way in the, in the ambulance to get there um, I asked the paramedic Are we, am I going to make it and he goes um, it's been my experience the people who we have in your condition on the way to a long trip to that hospital never make it to the hospital as soon as they get to the hospital they're pronounced dead and I got to this paramedic, would you please let me use your cell phone? And then I started calling my family and started saying goodbye, knowing, I, you know, in my head, it's my time. And, you know, that's cool. You know, I'm hooked up with pain meds. This is a great way to go. <laughs> um, so I'm at the hospital. I'm in the ER. 
they cleared everything away from me because a person who survives what I have, it's a 0.5 in 10 who survive. 0.5 in 10. And um, there was a priest there. I'm Jewish. I don't care. I'm dying. I'm every religion right now. You know? Um, and he goes, I would like to administer your last rites. And I'm like, what? And nothing will mind F you more than a priest giving you last rites. You see it in the movies. You see it in TV. But when you're hearing the final words and that be accepted to the gates of heaven and all that, that was so surreal for me. I'm like, oh my God, I am going to die. And um, the, this, uh, Dr. Chopperoff was, you know, the surgeon. He was like, we got to get him in and out. We got to get him, got to get him in now. And, and the priest was like, you do your part. I'm doing my part. And he read me the last rites. And I got to tell you guys, to this day, sometimes I have nightmares about ha- having those last rites said to me um, because it could have been either way in a, in a millisecond so they rushed me in and my first surgery was 11 hours um, they cut me straight open so I had this lovely beautiful scar to show off and um, they operated on me for 11 hours they repaired the ripped aorta here and to repair anything waist down they injected me with blood pellets, so, and it kind of acts as clog, like a drain when you have little leaks. It's like a, a drain that uh, clogs up all the little holes. And, okay. Okay. And um, so I had to have three open heart surgeries, one after the other. So I was in the hospital for three weeks straight. And they, you know, first cracked, cracked me open. You'll, you'll never forget what it's like to have your chest cracked and repaired and trying to, you know, breathe and walk. And then they closed me up. Next Monday, cracked me open again. They repair part of this, closed me up. Following week after that, I was going to go home. And then all of a sudden, they didn't, some stitch didn't take. And I started flooding in my own body. I never knew you can drown in your own body of blood. I never knew that. They didn't show that on MASH. You know? Every, everything I learned medically, I would watch from that show. And I'm like, okay, they never had this. And then they had to crack me open again. And every surgery was between 8 to 11 hours. And so after all that, I had to stay in bed. So I was in bed for a month at the hospital. And I got to tell you, it was maybe the best vacation I ever had. I mean, where do you get morphine, cable TV, and food brought to you, right? <laughs> and if I need more morphine, I hit the button, and I'm like, you know what? I feel okay, but what the hell? Morphing me up, you know? It was, it was better than any club med, really. And um, I had to learn how to walk again. That's horrible. You've been doing this since you were a kid, right? And all of a sudden, you don't have the power in your legs to move. You have the walker. You have people holding you. Um, It's very degrading. Um, It took me a good three weeks to learn how to walk. And then after I learned how to walk, I can only go from here maybe to that table. But that would take me about ten minutes because there are slow steps. 
So my doctor said something to me. Dr. Toparov says something to me. He goes, Ben, you, you survived this. Uh, people don't survive the surgery. And he goes, I have one thing to say to you. And I go, what is that? And he goes, live your life. And so for the long, it took, it took a few years for me to really heal up. But now I'm back, back in shape. I go hiking every day. Um, I even lead a hike. It's, it's not an OA hike like I used to lead many years ago at, you know, at the Roxbury. But um, where I live, I, I lead this hike and maybe 15, 16 people every Sunday. And we all go up and goof around and have a great time. I rock climb. I, you know, um, I rappel on a rope and I climb up the rope. I do all these things. And does it hurt my heart? Yes. But I'm listening to my doctor live your life. So I can't go down the roller coasters because of the how it pulls. So you know that's that's a bummer. And he said, "Do you want to?" I remember he said, "A pig valve or a heart valve." And I'm like, "So what's the difference?" He goes, "Well, a pig valve, uh, we put in now, and then we're going to have to open you up again and replace it in ten years." I'm like, "You know, heart artificial heart valve." And I made the wrong choice. Um, if anybody wants, you can come up right here. You will feel this sucker jumping and that's because I lost my pericardium and that's your buffer between your chest bone and your muscles because I was cut open so many times that when it grew back grew back only to here your pericardium is one thing and you that's why you don't really feel all the time so my body constantly vibrates I'm on many medications but I'm living my life today um, like my doctor said I'm inspiring people through Facebook to, to go hiking with me, to go rock climbing with me. And uh, people are, more and more people are doing it. And I'm getting so much great f uh, feedback that people are saying, oh, I went on this one and I was thinking of you. And you know something? That's better than any other food you can eat is um, to be there and to be there for other people. So... Thank you for letting me be here for you, and it's been really nice to come back to this meeting. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. Uh, there is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not to identify yourself uh, because we're being recorded right now. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on an OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it's asked. Okay, that was for me. Okay, bring it on. <laughs> yes. Uh, how is your spiritual connection and how do you keep it? My spiritual connection, that was one of the things I got first before I got the, the rules of the program. If you, if you, you know what I mean? Like, the, you know, um, the, the working the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Um, while I was working them, uh, that's when I got spirituality. And I felt my body full of something great and beautiful. And it wasn't food. And it was my spiritual contact with my higher power. And I've had that ever since. I, I didn't let go of that even when I was dying. I kept it with me. Thank you. Um. Uh, 
uh, how, if, if at all, did uh, your experience change your relationship with your higher power? Did, how did my experience change my relationship with my higher power? Um, it didn't. It made me more of a beggar, I can tell you that. Sometimes I was begging, please, please let it stop. Please let me uh, survive. And then there were times I was like, please take me right now. I couldn't, you know, what I had to go through in uh, recovery, um, learning to walk, learning to do everything. Um, And with tubes in you for so long, I was actually asking, please take me now. I reached my limit. There's so much pain you can take every day. Um, but I never lost contact with my higher power. Any other questions? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Oh, um, thanks for your share. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your, your shopping addiction and how you sort of switch it over. <laughs> I'm having some issues with changing around what I'm addicted to, and I'm wondering... Does it work for you and it's okay and you can be around it or did you get to a point where you had to say, you know, this is too sane? Um, my dad always said, buy what you can afford. And, um, and I always stuck to that. Um, it's funny, a, a lot of compulsive overeaters and anybody in any other 12-step program were all very good earners. And... Uh, we love to spend it on food and stuff like that. I noticed, veering off from the question a little bit, that when I look at my credit card statements at the end of the month, I always saw all these food items, places to go. And then when I was working the program and losing weight and doing the 12 traditions and 12 steps and working with my sponsor, um, that those food places, instead of it being 40 places, went down to 15, went down to that. And... I was buying clothes. You know what? Buying clothes doesn't kill you on the inside. It's uh, it's you got it. You have to treat yourself to whatever it is that makes you happy. Um, we can't just go by rules and laws every day and not do something for ourselves. If you work hard and you earn it, and you haven't treated yourself to something, you have to do that. Don't expect someone else to do it. My treat, instead of food, was, hey, I'll just go shopping at Calvin Klein or something like that. It's, it all depends how you want to look at it, but it's your choice. Remember that. It's always going to be your choice. John? Hey, um, actually, I have a great story. When you were going, could you talk about how the steps in the program sort of helped you during that really bad period of your health and how it changed maybe your perspective on I did a lot. I had I did a lot of reading because I was laid up in bed for three months, um, reading um, the twelve steps and twelve traditions, rereading it, highlighting it. You know, I was doing it like I was preparing for a test the next day. You know, putting a little post-it there, writing my my kind of questions and and stuff. And then at the end of my reading, I would you know. Hit the buzzer, more morphine, and then I would be, and then I would just like have my internal talks with my higher power because if you talk out loud, people are going to say, "Okay, we have to do something else to him now." <laughs> a lobotomy is a good thing, um, but I, I I talked to my higher even when we were at breakfast, 
I was talking to my higher power inside my head. I can do that and have a conversation with the same person. And I let my higher power in the conversation as well. Never to judge, but just always to keep in contact. Yes? Thank you. Um, what is it that sort of that, that got you to the, six, to the 400 pounds? Like, what is it? Like, I don't know, maybe I missed that. But what was that? What is that? Did that still circle for you, whatever those things were? Those things were called commercials. Um, If you think about it, food is the only legal drug you can buy 24-7. You can buy it through a drive-thru. You can get it through somebody else. You can have it delivered. You can call up your friend. Hey, on the way, can you bring this up for me? And then when all that's there still, you're watching commercial, and you're seeing this woman or this man eating this thing, and they make it look like a porno movie to me. I mean, they're eating it like, oh, you know, it's great, it's fantastic. And I'm like, yes, yes. I'm like, you know, I'm smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, oh, that was good. I'm going to, I'll take a nap. It, it's everywhere. That's the problem. It's everywhere. And it's not the, the norms out there. Normal people don't get it like we do, you know. Or, or if you have a friend over and you're talking and you say, wait, wait, I, know, I love this commercial. You know, and it's a food commercial. So that's what happened. The addiction was all there around me, for me, 24-7. It was easy. It was just easy to get. And you can find any addiction as easy as that. I took it. Hi. I laugh. I do because sometimes it is kind of um, still the same to me because I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater. That's never going to change. I could say I'm recovering, but I still have the illness in my soul, in my brain, and in my body. Um, that will never change. Yes? So what changed for you? Um, I understand the health issue, but that, that came later. What changed for you? How did you sit down? What changed? Okay, you know how people... Okay, so what changed for me, how I got in program, and something like that kind of relates to it. What changed for me? Um, You know how your higher power puts people in your path and maybe leads you to where you need to be. All right. Well, I had this uh, ex-girlfriend, this girlfriend I was living with, and it was a horrible relationship, just horrible. We fought all the time. She was in another 12-step program. And then she said to me, you know what? You need to get in this 12-step program. And then I tried, and then I went to OA. And with the clarity I got in my eyes and in my brain, I learned about my my affliction, my disease, and I also learned I was in a dysfunctional relationship. So it's kind of funny that the person who got me there was the person I needed to break up with because she wasn't healthy for me. And when you're an unhealthy person, guess what? You're going to attract unhealthy people. We're magnets for each other. Does that answer it? I hope. Yes? What do you do when you see someone going down the same path that you are, especially someone who's really close to you and they haven't found program over on recovery? When it's someone who's really close to me, really close to me, um, I, you know, I say, hey, let's, let's meet at your place. Let's talk because I need to talk to you about something. Maybe you can help me out. And I don't make it about them, because if I do, then it will be a trap. 
So I say, I'm having these kind of issues. Um, can you relate to those? And then, yes, and then the conversation always goes to, like, well, you want to take your time, it's fine. And I button a few buttons, and you would see this gnarly scar. Do you want this to happen? Is it worth it? You know, tell you what, why don't you just check in with me tomorrow and eat something one less than you normally eat and let me know how it goes. Let me know if you survive okay. And that's how I kind of do it. I don't do it all at once. I don't overwhelm them because if you overwhelm anybody in this program, what do we do? We run back to the beast. So um, that's... Any others? Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for your share. Um, do you have like a daily ritual or a daily routine that you do? And if so, can you share? Yeah, I go hiking. Um, it's, it's the nice thing about owning your own company is that you make your own hours. And by the way, I gave myself a promotion during the speech, so it was really cool. Uh, so I have, um, I'm really proud. I got, in, I got employee of the month. It was, I, I really don't deserve it, but I, but I did it. Next question. No. Um, so um, what, what I do is just kind of that. You know, um, I go hiking, I go rock climbing. So, like, I go hiking every day. Uh, that's a good hour, hour and a half. And um, and then on weekends, like today, Saturday and Sunday, I do hiking with my group, and then I go rock climbing by myself. And I love rock climbing, especially repelling. And, I, and this was so funny. I, I was repelling off this mountain in the Hollywood Hills for the first time. You know, I got my rope anchored. I got my, um, my, uh, my hiking belt on, which you connect to. Like, in case you fall or anything, you just kind of will dangle there until you wake up. And I got my rope slack. I got everything. And I got my rope gloves, my goggles. I'm ready to repel and go down. And then everybody's, and I looked around, and there's a whole bunch of tourists looking at me. And this old Jewish mother, and you can tell she's a Jewish mother, because by the way she talks and sounds, she goes, why is everybody watching this man who's going to kill himself? <laughs> and then she went, and, which we know that's a Jewish way of going. And, and, then, and then I went down, and I was just laughing. I, I don't take life serious, I don't. I, I take the, the law serious, but I don't take myself that serious. Because if I do, I'm in trouble. There's humor everywhere you look. There's fun. Even if there's someone who's trying to push your buttons, you give them the power to push your buttons if you want to. Or you can take the power back and hold it. So hiking, rock climbing, every day does it for me. I'm, I'm great. I'm gra- really happy to be here right afterwards. I'm going back into the mountains. And uh, just stay there. You know, um, wait, who, okay, you, you. I wanted to ask you what OA life is like in the hinterlands. <laughs> in, the, in the other lands? Beyond the valley of, uh, of the dolls, yes. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the same. Are there a lot of meetings? There are a lot of meetings. Um, there, there's, you know what? I haven't been to a bad meeting ever, but I have been to a bad meeting when I was in bad it with myself. You know what? If I come with anger and I come all that stuff and I bring it and I can't release it, there's never a bad meeting. It, it's only a bad meeting because you make it bad. If you find that one thing in that person, it's a good meeting. Okay.
okay? That, that, you know, that was what I used to hear all the time in the hospital, these machines. And I'm like, so that just took me back. And, I, and I'm like, you no, know, pushing the nurse button going, hello, I, I think I'm out of something or I need something. And I'm just, I'm like one of those guys laying in bed. Hello, you always here in the hospital. Hello. And then they come, oh, just let me reset that for you, honey. And uh, yes, yes. Because of course, you know, you can't get too angry with listening to your last uh, commentary. So, what do you do now, knowing that this is definitely important? You know, it's always important, but you're aware of it now. How do you, you know, get off anger or, you know, not have a meltdown? Oh, thank you. So, how I, I don't have a meltdown, or no, and how do I overcome anger? Um, let me just say this, and this is no exaggeration. I have to take seven pills in the morning um, for my heart and other things that happen because of that. And I have to take ten sleeping meds at night just to go to sleep because the, of the vibration is 24-7. It drives you crazy. Um, there's anger right there. And I still kind of go through that. I'm going, I wish it would stop. And if it stopped, the heart would stop. And then I'm going, okay. You know, so how do I get through anger? I don't do it alone. Um, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm doing that alone, I know I'm in trouble. So I call people I trust. Or what I do, if someone angered me and pissed me off, I would write them a, something on Facebook. And then I read it and I go, that's good. And then I cancel it. You know, one time I accidentally hit send. Oh. So my mom and I are not talking right now. But, you know, but I do that a lot. I write it down and, you know, I'm faster typer than I am a writer. And, um, and then I cancel it. I let it go. Writing. And here we are in the best generation of everything that's media and iPhones and laptops. We can do it right there. You know, let it go. Share it with another person. You do not have to keep it. I bet you have like at least three people who love you to death. They're there for you and you're there for them. Share it. Yes. Thanks, Ben. Um you're not the only one, but you are near the top of the list who has an intensely medical story. I also have an intensely medical story. My experience is when I'm sharing the medical stuff with other people who have say medical stuff, it's different than when I'm sharing it with people in LA. Because my medical What's your question? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, is that also your experience when you're sharing the medical stuff with people who have your medical conditions? Does it feel different than when you're showing it with OA people? No. Nothing's changed. Um, unless you've been through what I've survived, barely. Um, you know it. You, you, you just, your shares are different. That's all. Life is different now. It's not what it was. But I made it this way, so it's my fault. Uh, yes, Mm-hmm. Oh, I started off uh, OA, three meals a day, and um, did that for a long time, lost weight, 
pretty fast when you're younger. You know, I want to be younger again. Um, then I went to um, Hal, and I did their food plan. I had a, a sponsor, a great sponsor, <coughs> and uh, John. Uh, sorry. Oh, sorry about that. And I, I did that way, and that worked even better for me. Everything is different for every personal body. Not the person, the body re- reacts a different way for other things. That's why we have, God, how many diet centers out there and food center places and plants? Whatever works for you, works for you. And if it's working, don't change it. Did I answer your question okay? Is, is the food plan any different today than it was? It's, actually, it's, it's tighter. It's better. It has to be tighter because of this. Whoa. What the hell? Uh, okay, that's my time. <laughs>